Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. I'm Jake Donaldson and I'm joined by Maddie Enterprise Church House, Nathan Voyager Thomas, and for one special episode only, Tom Type 15 Shuttlecraft B. (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, let's engage. Hi guys, it's nice to be back. Uh, we've got a special guest for, the, ah, for this episode. Oh God, our first, our first ever special guest. How did he get here? It is uh, comedian, improviser, and writer Tom B. How are you, Tom? I'm I'm not too bad. Thank you for asking. That's you just told me an improviser. I'm just like, yes, I am good. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> yes, and <laughs> and I am also good. Thank you, and. <laughs> Um, Tom, you're a Star Trek fan, aren't you? Yes, yes, massively so. Uh, I would have respected you a lot if you'd have gone, no, I have no fucking idea why you asked me here. I'm just on your podcast to gain clout. <laughs> is, this, is this the Babylon 5 podcast? <laughs> no, uh, this is, well, we're this watching is... Deep Space Nine, so maybe. No, there aren't any Babylon 5 podcasts. This, this is actually serial. Um <laughs> Uh, so we've we've asked you on the show uh, as a special guest, and we've let you pick the episode that we are watching. So why don't you tell everyone uh, what, which episode we're looking at today? I have picked the season four episode Bar Association, which is my just favorite episode to watch whenever I'm a bit sad, which has been a lot recently. So this is actually the fifth time I've watched it this month. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Should say that's se- that's season four of Deep Space Nine. Uh, just to, to be clear for people at oh, home. Yes. Um, great. It's lovely. I-, I had not seen this episode before. Um, I was very bored this afternoon when I put it on the telly, and then continued to be bored for another forty-five minutes. Wait. Uh, <laughs> Just said I was sad, and this is my happy place, which is all right. <laughs> Arthur Scargill's coming back from the dead to stab you to death, Jake. Oh God! Um, look, right. It's an episode about a union. Before we get on to Nathan describing the plot, I do just want on the on the subject of hashtags that have come out of this podcast. Um, we have news on hashtag Sexy Space Show listeners. <gasps> hashtag Sexy Space Show, which Tom, if you don't know about it, uh, was a thing that I started a few episodes ago where I wanted to try and create a um, a political uh, groundswell of up, of support on uh, Twitter to try and get a special uh, shoot off series about Seven of Nine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which has nothing to do with the fact that I fancy Jerry Ryan at all. Um, I'm seeing where hashtag Jake is a bad feminist is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we found out today that uh, CBS are genuinely working on a, uh, a Jerry Ryan uh spin-off show about seven of nine space show is live hashtag sexy space show has worked this is power this is power everybody i know i'm gonna tweet that you sent has created this show can you please just tweet that that boris johnson should die in a fire (laughs) look Uh... i'm I'm gonna move on (laughs) from from having talked about how important it is for uh communities to come together and fight for what they want uh Nathan, can you now please explain how bad this episode is? It's not uh, bad. That and before we about... jump into that, can I what? just formally apologise to Arthur Scargill, who is still very much alive? Sorry, Scarzy. Right, I'm going to do my episode Scazza. summary before you can derail me Scazza. any further. <laughs> Like that. As, as a scazzer. As a scazzer. <laughs> Look, all we have to do, Tom and Maddie, is just keep referring to scazzer throughout the episode and then he has to keep it in for continuity reasons. I can't wait. Scazzer went dead, yeah. <laughs> Nathan, do right. you want to go through uh, and give us a patented Nathan Thomas Explains the Plot? Oh, I sections? absolutely want to. I'm just wondering if I shall be permitted to do so. Scazzer. <laughs> scazzer says it's okay. Go ahead. Right, so uh, the episode opens uh, with Daxon Wharf undertaking a patrol and lightly bantering about his love of the Defiant. Uh, We then swiftly cut to Quark's bar where Miles and Bashir are engaging in a holosuite program. Um, as they as they go along to their uh, holosuite, we learn that uh, Rom is feeling very sick. 
there is an <laughs> argument between uh, Quark and um, uh, Lita, and um, Rom faints during said argument. Uh, but uh, as Bashir is treating them, um, Quark says that he still won't give them any sick pay. Also, the Bajoran time of cleansing has come, so he's so as that's cut into his profits, he's going to cut a third of the pay from all the workers. When they object, he points out he can lay off half the staff instead. Bashir says they need a union. Um, Rom tries to get uh, Quark to reconsider, but it continues not to work. Um, and meanwhile, Dax continues to flirt, um, flirt with Worf over their training room. Oh, yeah! Worf discovers a thief in, in the grates, stealing things from his um, quarters. He confronts Odo, saying that these things did not happen on the Enterprise. Odo then recounts every time that something like this happens on the <laughs> the Enterprise on Worf's watch specifically. <laughs> um, and just a side note, everything that he references is an episode of TNG as well. Yes, that, it is. Like, which I appreciate. Um, Rom then begins to have a secret meeting where he announces the idea of a union to everyone else. And they seem keen on the idea, except the other Ferengi are um, scared of the FCA. But ultimately, with some rousing speeches, he's able to organise them. We cut to, Mile, uh, to Bashir and Miles in sickbay, with Bashir taking the piss out of him, and um, Rom comes in to discuss unionization with the man that gave him the idea. Miles O'Brien, it turns out, is a union man, and gives them the idea of striking. Uh, he then also mentions that his relative was shot for these kinds of <laughs> tactics, which Rom, <laughs> Rom just kind of is scared of. Um... Uh, Miles and Worf then discuss their different experiences on the Enterprise and De- Deep Space Nine and how Worf is still struggling to uh, fit in. Um, Rom presents his demands and is laughed off by Quark, so the workers go on strike with a picket line. Quark creates some holograms to serve as them, but they are utterly terrible. <laughs> Odo is called in as a strike-breaking cop. He wants to be a strike-breaking um, cop, but Cisco has prevented him acting. Uh, Bashir and O'Brien, meanwhile, are betting on who will enter the bar, and when Worf enters, O'Brien goes to talk some sense into to Worf. Cut to Cisco finding his officers in prison after they had a brawl over the issue. Cisco <laughs> is annoyed about this, so goes to speak to Quark and argues for them to negotiate. He does this by calculating all of the, the rent <laughs> that Quark owns and the various other costs which the Federation has ignored thus far. Uh, Quark proceeds in a Ferengi uh, fashion to bring <laughs> matters to a close by bribing the strike leader. Uh, but Rom's morals continue to hold up until Liquidator Brunt appears and starts confronting Quark. The strikers are celebrating, but the Liquidator causes a few of them to kind of lose their their will. Um, he threatens that they'll be utterly destitute. Rom continues to rally them against the FCA, pointing out they don't have much to lose anyway. Uh, Worf apologises and confesses his unease, but he will live on the Defiant and love it, even though he will be alone. As Rom walks home, Quark confronts him and the two brothers argue about their upbringing and what's best for Rom. Quark seems scared for Rom and generally scared for his brother, but throwing back his comments from earlier. Uh, Brunt continues to amp up his threats uh, and ultimately decides to beat up Quark. Uh, he's almost killed, and Dr. Vashir is able to get him to recover. Quark is too scared to press charges against the individuals that did this. And finally, Quark comes up with an idea. Rom officially dissolves the Union, making it look like Quark won. Yet Quark will meet the demands and give under-the-table payments to his employees. Worf is settled into his new quarters, and Dax brings a series of Klingon operas for him to listen to really loud over the Defiance comm system, which seems a misuse of military hardware, but never mind. Um, we finally see the bar in full flow after the cleansing is done, and the Bajorans begin to make up for lost time, <laughs> and we discover that Rom has a new job as a technician. There we go. That's the plot. Yay! Happy and then, ending! And by the end of the episode, you've fallen asleep. <laughs> Just like any classic Unite meeting, Jake. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> oh, look, look right, it's, it's, not, I, it's not that it's not a good episode, right? Because it, it is a good episode. <laughs> I mean, I did think at the end of this episode, you know, 
so was this episode there to tell me that the minimum wage is a good thing? I'm like, because only Americans would need an entire episode dedicated to explaining why the basic concept of a union might be <laughs> a positive idea for oppressed <laughs> workers. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> they still and haven't yet they money. needed it. This I is know. the wake-up call and yet, America needed. Yeah, well, it didn't <laughs> fucking work, did it? It's a fucking shambles. <laughs> but it paved the way. <laughs> I mean, pay, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Maybe but it we doesn't need more e- of them. But it doesn't even work, though. They don't get a union at the end. At the end, yeah. they, they say the only way for that union's going to ever work is if you disband the union at the end and hope that your employer's nice to you. Like, well, that's it, accurate, because uh, my friend in New York who joined the union got fired, and so did all of her colleagues who also joined the union. So that's how things work in America. <laughs> <laughs> but this isn't America, it's space. <laughs> It's space America. It is space, space America. America. It's space America. It's socialist space America. What, Tom? What? With the Ferengi, the friendly face of America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the Ferengi are literally just Donald Trump, Jared Kushner, Jeff Bezos, and co. But they dress better. They dress yeah, better. That's, that's the true. only good thing. That's the only thing I like about the Ferengi is yeah. their, their costume. Um Tom, why do you think this is the best episode? I don't think it's the best episode ever as much as I say that. But <laughs> I do. I, I, lo- I love this episode. Like, for many reasons. One, it's in season four, and season four is banging. <laughs> like, season four's got Armand Bashir, um, it's got the Homefront and Paradise Lost Finge, it's got The Visitor, it's got Little Green Men, and Way to Warrior. It's a great season. Also, I think this episode is really good at demonstrating what DS9 excelled at, which is rooting stories in the like tertiary characters. Like not fair, many other Star Treks have kind of like gone, let's give let's give the A plot to Ron. Mm, you know, it's yeah. like there's nothing character and they did it. And this episode serves towards his overall character arc, which in my opinion is the best in the show. Because he gets to rise through, he gets to be part of the resistance, and he's a big part. No, so it's like it's one of those things that in like the microcosm of DS9 is a wonderful episode because it expands on so much, but it's also dumb as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with the last bit of what you said. Um, <laughs> oh, it, awesome. I, I, look, right. <laughs> I promise I do have some positive things to say. You always say this and then you never do. <laughs> you don't see you like the world building or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is what I say every time. <laughs> I'll I tell you something that is good about this episode. Uh, the end, she has got, when she it has finishes. got a receding hairline, and that makes me feel with petty glee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, Mirror Universe Bashir is the one that does it for me. Yeah. My God. Mirror Universe. Oh. We, we have discussed Mirror Universe Bashir on this podcast before. No, we before. haven't yet. We, we, well, we, we discussed his existence. We've just not met him. We've just, oh, we've yeah. just not met of him course. yet. Mirror Universe Bashir looks like you imagine Bashir would look like, look like in lockdown. It is a sight to behold. going to immediately Google that. I'll tell you what, Worf's hair was pretty on fleek this episode. I was quite sexually attracted to Worf. Um, so was not Dax. to mention Dax with her, like <laughs> little mini, like you know, sword cling on things. I was like, yes, are they about to have a fight scene? And then they didn't, and it just went back to um, to the unite meeting, and I was lowly disappointed. But then squashed that feeling of disappointment because that would make me a bad comrade. Um, so. <laughs> well, because the thing is, like, I think we're all dancing around the issue here is that. Unions and those kinds of organisations are very important, but they are not interesting. Exactly. I have yeah. been to several, yeah. like, union and society and other similar organisation general meetings, and they are excruciating, they're very important, and you should attend, yeah. but they are dull as shit, and most of this episode is dull as shit. Yeah. <laughs> they are, they are so vital, but, right. and they're so wholesome, and this episode was really, really sweet. It was really, really wholesome. It was yeah, very it's... linear, but in like a comforting way. But yeah, Nathan's absolutely right. It's, yeah, I mean, I it's guess it accurately... It's something very boring. I mean, yeah, I quite like the episode. Yeah, it accurately reflects real life, which is that, yeah, unions are incredibly boring, but they're also vitally important and, you know, with in a positive s- scenario achieve good results. But Star, um, Tre- Star Trek's not meant to accurately 
reflect real life. If Star yes, Trek... it is because it's science fiction, you moron. <laughs> no, no. no that's what it's... science fiction is for, you fucking prick. No TV, no TV is meant to accurately reflect real life. Otherwise, you'd see Ian Beale having a shit on every episode of EastEnders. <laughs> it's meant to be a reflection on society. You're meant to look at it and go, "Oh, fucking even in the future, we're gonna fuck it up." Yeah, but why... <laughs> yeah, but why then don't I feel why like Maddie's the on... scorekeeper and I'm the referee? Here. <laughs> Why then, on, on Data's Day, do you not get an entire scene where Data's on the phone to his internet provider trying to get a better tariff? Like, that's you an... do! Every time he's got to be deactivated for an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a very good point. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, can I we talk... No, the entire, finale, the entire finale of Picard. Yeah, okay. We we, we don't no discuss more. Picard. I haven't seen it yet. Maddie <laughs> hasn't no seen more. Picard, so we're not allowed to discuss Sorry. it. But <laughs> very good. Nothing interesting happens. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it accurately reflects various areas of you know modern life. Firstly, obviously, like we've discussed, the unions. Uh, secondly, the fact that the police are fucking shit and don't do their job. Um, <laughs> like when Wolf goes to complain about the thief and Odo's like, yeah, shit happens, mate. I'm like, mm, that's funny. Oh, Reminds me Odo of... Is, Odo is incel propaganda. Uh, Odo, Odo's very, like, he comes from a people who are naturally fascist. And uh, very often in Deep Space Nine is like, I wouldn't have as many problems if you weren't such a progressive, permissive society. Like, like there's, a, there's an episode where um, they're like tracking someone down and it goes, well, I'm just going to hack into the feed and watch the surveillance I have on Quark. And he's like, what? And whoever's with him, but I can't remember who it is, he's like, do you have surveillance on everyone? And he goes, no. Should I be surveillancing you? <laughs> and and the implication is, the only reason he doesn't is Captain Sisko won't let him. <laughs> like, I honestly, I imagine every in-between scene bit where you don't see Odo is just him doing a heavy sigh and, I'm Mr. Cardassian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's a collaborator with them as well. He was like, a collaborator. Wow. Maybe, maybe that might be that might be my uh, head canon for this episode. Um, Tom, if you don't know, we um, we always pick some things to enter into the red shirts head canon uh, in every episode, and mine might be that. Uh, Otto is like, uh, you know how some people are like Francophiles because they're obsessed with France. He he's like a a Cardassian file, uh, <laughs> and like his bedroom's covered in like Cardassian things. He's got a poster of uh, Kim, of some... Chloe, Golda Cat, and Gold yeah. Rods. <laughs> well, you know what, Jake? They did have the better uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Oh have God! The don't get him started on uniforms. Oh, oh! If you want me to talk about uniforms in this episode, I've got some strong opinions on what. Yeah, uh, we on can what... talk about what Quark's wearing. Why is he dressed like Jared Leto in Suicide Squad? Yeah, he's a well-dressed dandy man. He is. He's looking <laughs> fabulous. He, um, I don't know if any of you watched the 1990s children's TV series Beetleborgs. Speaking, speaking of Quark, um, can we talk about how uh, the actor who plays Quark, whatever his name is... Armin Shimmerman. Armin Shimmerman. Uh, he exhibits some of the worst face acting I've ever seen in this what? episode. I was going to say I thought he was great. Is, I really liked that, his acting. He also is it has some soul reaction shot? Yes. Where, where Brunt says something, he's just like... Uh. Yeah, yeah. He just pulls this weird, sort of really Shock awfully acting yes. face. But, but yes. then he also has some of the best acting in this episode later on in in the scenes between him and his brother. Uh, Absolutely. I think that one of the things that I really do like about this episode is how well acted it was from most of the people involved in it. I, I think, uh, you know, I've got opinions on Julian Bashir, um, but. The um, sexy space twin boy. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, we, on this we podcast, hate, we, hate we do not love and support Julian yet. <laughs> oh, you give you give Julian time. You will come to love Julian. <laughs> I've told them this, but they do not yet believe me. Yeah, so. Nathan's trying to convince us, but I just don't see it happening. And that's general, they don't, and it's not Julian, and it's not Julian a race thing. A, he has a very satisfying arc. He, like honestly, I give him genuinely time. thought you were going to say ass. <laughs> That, I mean, that which would be too. much more in keeping with the themes of this podcast. To be fair, it's a shame you were sat down all the time in Game of Thrones. You are correct. <laughs> Look, we've—I'm we, I'm quite impressed. We've managed to get twenty minutes through a recording about Deep Space Nine, and neither me or Maddie have talked about how much we fancy Jadzia Dax yet. So, have I told you how much I fancy Jadzia Dax when she comes out with those big fucking knives? <laughs> um, I just love all the sexual chemistry between her and Worf. Like every, every like few lines of my notes it's just like yeah 
they're powerful. <laughs> they both have such massive big dick. They're big. They both have such massive big dick energy. They're just yeah, fabulous. Really. Oh, like I it. mean, Jadzia's got seven big dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf's got two. Between them, they've probably got half a dozen. <laughs> we spent far too much of the last episode discussing whether or not Klingons do have two dicks or not. They like we don't do. need to get back into it. We know. You're ignoring the important question. Two dicks or one dick? Are they ridged? <laughs> yeah, no, they've got little um they've got little ridges on them like their foreheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just drawn all the way down the shaft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, the spots on Jadzia Dags go all the way down. We know that. Oh, I mean, that's quite sexy. I do quite like that. I mean, I'll well, tell you. You I'll... see her in a bathing suit and she still has the spots that. Yeah, oh, so. I mean, oh, nice. if I saw her in a bathing suit, I'd be the one going all the way down. <laughs> With her permission, of course. Yes, obviously. <laughs> With her Just... full and enthusiastic consent. Um, <laughs> speaking of other side characters in this episode who are really good, can we talk about Miles, uh, Len McCluskey, O'Brien? Yes. <laughs> oh, poor unlucky O'Brien. He's so fabulous. Like he, everything he does in this episode is so b- bizarre. Like the first thing is he's taking Julian into a LARP on the hollow deck, but it's like specifically <laughs> a LARP of some famous Irish battle. But then he says it's like the Battle of Britain, but without the planes. And I was yeah, like, that so... is the first and last time I've ever heard any Irish person compare a famous Irish battle against <laughs> to something that was fought by the English. For for some context, they they it's a running thing throughout the series that they go into battle simulations, which are like unlikely victories or underdog type situations. So they've had like an episode prior to this, they did the Battle of Britain. As an example, because the allies are outnumbered in that. Yeah. Um, wow. So I like. I guess uh, you're meant to take that as uh, Bash- uh, as O'Brien convincing Bashir to try it. Yeah. Um, but it does sound incredibly stupid. <laughs> but, and also, how Bashir is it that he's getting really butthurt about the fact he doesn't get to be the lead, even though he's not Irish? <laughs> <laughs> just like no i want to be the lead in someone else's history that and is... how disappointing <laughs> that they were going into this battle covered in furs instead of naked and woed on their balls like you know that would have been more historically accurate and fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine how many clever clever scenery shots they would have done yeah. <laughs> just position this shield here just put my leg over this chair there. Like, so it's like riser all over again. <laughs> and then just when you think you're about to see something, like Quark's head pops up in the middle of the screen to cover it. <laughs> and Quark's head does look like a testicle. Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Quark's head, what the hell is this Umox that right. Rom is asking? Because oh. that was disgusting. I was like, I have, is, so, are, they just, are they just propositioning people to masturbate us. their earlobes in public? Like, what is going uh, yeah, on? Much, yeah. yeah, no, that's actually yeah, pretty yeah. much exactly. Oh, it's a God. sensual ear massage. And Rom got ill because he did it too much to himself. <gasps> so the oh, entire Rom. the entire thread of this episode is that Rom wanked himself ill. Yeah. <laughs> Rom's Fun plot fact. in this incel... Uh, Rom's plot arc in this episode was that he had a glorious evolution from incel to Azaskaza uh, and led his people to victory against Quark Maggie Thatcher Ferengi. You know what? If the, there is not a better metaphor than lockdown than chronic masturbation to revolutionary radicalization. <laughs> I love the idea that Maddie's introduced this uh, Margaret Thatcher Quark uh, situation. <laughs> like... Quark Thatcher and Snail Juice Snatcher. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I thought in the other episode, I already said that the Vulcans were like Maggie Thatcher and I called them my, um, Thatcher Thatcher Plomeek Soup Snatcher. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I need to get more examples of like universally despised historical villains than Maggie Thatcher. Um, <clears throat> can we talk about uh, the fact that this episode was directed by LeVar Burton, which oh, is excellent. which is ridiculous because he has shown absolutely no vision as oh. a director, <laughs> despite the fact that he famously played a person with better vision than everyone else. <laughs> oh no! Hey, look, I oh. think it's a solid, it's a well-rounded, solid offering. You're right, it doesn't take any wild turns, it doesn't do anything particularly inventive. But it's quite wholesome and satisfying. 
Um, it's it's like a it's like a square meal. You wouldn't you know go out to a restaurant and expect to be served it, but it's like a solid plate of spag bol with a side of sticky toffee pudding. Sorry, in... what restaurants are you going out to and not expecting them to serve you spag bol and sticky toffee pudding? That's true. I do actually generally just order spag bol and sticky toffee pudding, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, think, I think the thing that I always think with this episode is that where it is in the season, it, it's coming right off the back of Homefront and Paradise Lost, which is this big like series turning two-parter so, and very, very intense. So once you've got off the back of that, you do, you know, and you especially if you're binging or watching week by week, you do just want to see the Ferengis dick around a bit. Yeah, you <laughs> just want some light political thriller. Um, yeah. yeah, but and it's like, but DS9 and Star Trek in general has always tackled like big issues. I mean, like there's the whole belt, there's the Bell Riots, which is basically now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. there's, oh, um, they pretty much said it now, don't they? Isn't it 2024. Like four, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's the, there's the one where they're just like, Star Trek always did their racism episodes just like, one guy's got half a black face, the other guy <laughs> has another half of a black face, they don't get on. Whereas <laughs> DS9 was just like, fuck it, let's send Cisco back to 1950s and try and make him a science fiction writer, see how that goes for him. Right. That's why it's like, and they handle that with Gravitas and then they handle this, which is also a serious issue, but, and they're just like, let's make it a bit of a fuck around. And I think that's I think that's admirable. I think that's a good trait in a TV series. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Well, I don't have the appreciation of the context and the weight that you've just given the episode, but I I appreciated its offering for what it was, and I could see oh, yeah. that you know within the midst of much more heavy hitting episodes, it's nice to have something that's quite light hearted. And Ron was kind of adorable. I mean, his acting was awful. I don't know what was happening to him. Just the whole episode, he looked like he was about to have a seizure. But um, I did quite enjoy watching him. You know. Stand up for himself, and he grew a backbone. Yeah. Actually, I I thought the guy who played Rom's acting in the scene where um, uh, Liquidator Brunt sort of comes and threatens them all, uh, and that other lad, the the other Ferengi boy, uh, like he collapses on the floor and starts crying and everything. And I thought Rom's acting in that scene was actually quite good, Um, and I thought that scene in general was quite good. Um, But I would like just since Tom's just brought him up to uh, discuss the scene, the, the single scene that involves Captain Sisko in this episode, um, where <laughs> he is being angry again because that's his only character it's not his trait. He's obviously even even four seasons in, he's still upset about the fact he's, his wife died six he's years a ago. Stop talking shit, Starship Captain. Of course, he's angry. If I was him, I'd be angry too. If I had a little white guy prick on a podcast calling me angry all the time, I'd be angry as well. Look, anyway, you'll fuck you up, mate. You space Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've misunderstood what Jesus is like. <laughs> I don't think he was well Jesus known for fucking really people angry. up. Didn't- Jesus used to go into the tape and like into the temple and flip the tables. Jesus once saw a fig tree and was like, "Give me some figs," and the fig tree was like, "No." And then the Jesus was like, "Then perish," and the fig tree burned to oh, death. Oh yeah, well I'd be um, dead hard as well if I could fight a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even fight the sea, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners, that is a reference to a solo show that I did uh, called Jake Donaldson Fights the Sea, which uh, you can find on the internet. (laughs) Not on DVD, though. (laughs) Look, right. Cisco is being a dick in this again. He's being angry. He's he's showing no interest uh, about... in, in being... Nice. Yes, he does. He tells Worf to stop. He tells Worf not to cross a picket line, and then tells them to get their act together and support the strikers. He actually stands up for them in a very kind of diplomatic um, and captainly way. He does a good job. I also and just why doesn't he just chill out though? Just like. Jake, shut up and let Tom talk. <laughs> just, oh, no, it, it's kind of annoying. Oh, first thing, are we talking about the bridge scene or are we talking about Quark in the ready room scene? Um, well, I forgot there were two scenes, actually. I thought oh, they I were forgot the same that thing. But... 
Yeah. Because the second one, I really love Sister in that scene because he's just like, dude, you need to pay your workers more. Yeah. And Quartz like, footnote. And Sitra's like, well, we don't pay, we don't charge you rent or utilities and all of this, and you've been here for seven years. So if we started charging that, unless you raise the fees, and so like, he does it. Yeah, he's right. a Tory. <laughs> no, he hasn't been charging Quark rent. He's not a Tory. That's the point. He's, he is Federation. Like, like, remember, the Federation is just space socialism. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Look, I, I know that face on Jake. That's Jake's realization that he can't credibly hold a position, but he's still look. looking for an argument. <laughs> <laughs> look, what I, what I, look, right. The main reason I really don't like him is because in that scene when he's at his desk, he's got a baseball on his desk, and that's the kind of thing a wanker would do. And because he really likes baseball. Look, it's yeah, because he look. really likes baseball. Oh, what a great fucking character trait! Get over what, your dead you wife your and have a wank. Somewhere? Have you got some kind of underlying daddy issues that you're not telling us about? That your dad never take you to, to play rounders? Is this why you're grudging <laughs> this American dad? His well, little, no, my, his little well, no, cricket ball on his desk. As you well know, my dad is disabled, so no, he didn't ever do that. <laughs> Look, he's only missing one arm, you can bat with the other. <laughs> no. bit, bit, bit out there reading of this. I think Quark is the product of a toxic culture that he feels uh, constrained by, in a way like you might describe toxic ma- masculinity, because he, like, we, we get right at the start that Rom is, like, told, you see it a lot more in other episodes, I think, but this episode is a good one to talk about it, um... Like, you see Rom say, well, this is standard in all Ferengi contracts. And you can see that that Quark is always just doing what he thinks Ferengi should do, and never what he actually thinks he should do. Um, and, like, his, like, worry and fear about the liquidators and things like that, I think, all come out of that kind of thing. I uh, would like I to... Think it's... Sorry, carry on. No, I'm just going to say, I think it's interesting, that's all. I was going to say that I, I, I back you on that reading because um, my favourite character in this episode was actually Quark um, and how he, throughout the episode, looks more and more genuinely concerned and conflicted about what's going on um, and then at the end comes to a compromise with his brother. And yeah, don't get me wrong, he, he ends the episode still a bastard, but you actually see a tiny amount of humanity in there. I completely agree with Nathan. He pretty much explicitly says that the reason he feels like he can't do any different is because Ferengi society will punish him for behaving differently and for transgressing those norms. So, yeah, I think that's a really good reading. And it's also like a kind of, um, you know, interesting and sad parallel to how in society we do that with lots of different things and we do we punish people for trying to stand up for themselves and trying to do things differently and also how the banality of evil uh is allowed to continue because people just do what they think they have to do to protect themselves i also completely agree with the reading as well uh just i, I think that's an intrinsic part of quartz character oh, as well because yeah. like, especially i don't like there's that season three episode where he's got to go back to franganar because his mother's earning and he's got to like take care of the family and punish her or the friendly fight can the friendly high council come after him and he's chosen between like his progressive mother and his background and mm. cultural background effectively and it's like I, quark is a fascinating i think all the characters in ds9 are very multifaceted but Quark specifically is very interesting. I think yeah, it's a I think it's, it's just interesting that I think Quark, especially, like, the the one, like, criticism I make of Quark in particular, his character arc, is that they often do episodes like this, or arcs in specific episodes, where he seems to just reel back on a lot of the, like, progressive stuff that, like you say, like, you mentioned the stuff with his mother and things, he, he makes a series of progressive decisions, and then you get to an episode like this where he's fully back in the camp of Ferengi tradition, and it's, it, it sometimes limits him a bit. I don't think that that's necessarily the case here too badly, because I don't think we've had a lot of stuff that would really make him not act in this way at this point, but, like, yeah. I but think interesting. I think just like one of those unspoken house rules from the DS9 writer's room as well, it's like, O'Brien must always suffer... Quark must never. Quark must. In fact, I've got a note here that says O'Brien must always suffer. This week, it's a weird cyst. (laughs) (laughs) Miles O'Brien has my has two of my favorite moments in this episode. 
Um, <laughs> right, the first one is when he tries to take on Worf. And I can only assume because he's worked on the Enterprise, so we've seen firsthand that Worf is a terrible Twindle Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> and and second up, like when Worf's going on, oh, there's so much, it never happened here. And O'Brien's just like, I know, it's great, isn't it? Enterprise was shit. I just stood around in the transporter room all day. <laughs> Which sounds great. Absolutely I want that dunking job. on the Enterprise. Absolutely, yeah. I also like I also like another O'Brien thing I like is his when the, when they're making up together. And he's like, we both said some stupid things. I shoved you, you shoved me. Julian got thrown over a table. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, remember when we threw Julian or like bodily assaulted our colleague. Bashir thrown over a table. I want to see Worf throw Julian over a table. Yeah. I'd throw Bashir over a table. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would as well. It, instead, we just got to see Worf have a, t- a breakdown because someone had stolen his tooth sharpener. And I was like, chill out, mate. It's not that deep. Well, yeah. You know, it had ruined his, you know, date of knife play with Dax. <laughs> Why? And also, wait, when they're in the Defiance, it's like, this is the Quindon Opera. You can listen to it as loud as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is oh, an interesting yeah. directorial choice by LeVar Burton uh, not to show the the fight in the bar. Um, I, I reckon it would have cost the budget. As I said, yeah. this is halfway through. This is halfway through a season. They can't afford to. They've also the put so many Ferengis in full makeup in this episode that they definitely haven't got any money left. That's a like, good point. I have. They have all about, of yeah. the bar staff. You know. Standing yeah, well, and it seems like this is a cheap episode because it is a. They are only using sets they already had. Like yeah. there is no, there is no special effect. And DS Nine, um, uh, probably not in comparison to modern Star Trek, but it's quite special effects heavy. Like because they do a lot of. It's the first Star Trek to have a full on war in the middle of it. So they have like massive fleet shots and big like yeah. uh, like actual full on battles in Deep Space Nine, well, which I open- reckon. Costa shit. Yeah. Oh yes, because especially in like at this point, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, which, you know, real bit fish weren't even going at this stage. Yeah. Ooh, thirty five minutes before Tom mentioned uh, a ska punk band. I'm quite impressed. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the only way my is it. It's the only way my mind connects to time. Just like when <laughs> albums were released. When did Less Than Jake release their first album? Nineteen ninety four. Yeah. <laughs> I know, because Less Than Jake released their first album the year after me, Jake, was born. So they are Less Than Jake. Some uh, some fun uh, trivia facts about this episode. Um, this is Go the first episode it. where uh, the Ferengi homeworld is uh, specifically named Ferenginar. So uh, that's never been, oh. that was never, sp- never said before on the show. It was sort of known in the writer's room, but th- this is the first time anyone spoke the, the name of the planet out loud. So that's interesting. Also, you know in that scene where uh, there are two uh, Norsicans throwing darts at each other? Um, Nautiluses. When they throw, they throw them in their chests. Yeah, they're yes. throwing darts oh, into each other's chests. Oh, I thought they were chests. throwing it in their crotches. Okay, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Well, th- th- this is my favourite fact about this episode, right? Uh, th- the two people who played those two Norsicans uh, are called uh, James Lomas and Sean McConnell, uh, and they were specifically cast in this. That's not the, f- the thing that I think is the best thing, by the way, just that they've got really boring names. But uh, the-, the reason they were cast specifically in that scene uh, is because they are both professional darts players. <laughs> That's amazing. They are slender darts. Yeah, I know. I'm quite impressed with them, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Going back to the Ferenginar thing, though, uh, it just reminds me of the before they'd named the Klingon homeworld. The like terrible. Some people thought that um, in the writers' room of TOS thought that a decent name for their home world would be Kling. And at one point you get a Klingon warrior going, the children of Kling will drink the blood of you humans. And it's like, no, they won't. We <laughs> will never mention this again. <laughs> you have dishonoured your house. No, it's like, one of my favourite facts about the Ferengi is, like, DS9 made them watchable. Because, oh, they were like, in, the, in, in, in the first season of TNG, they're, like, set up as this, like, 
bedroom in Fred, like the booty body men, not the booty men. They dance a lot. Like the booty <laughs> men. men are also all... a ska band that Tom listens to. Yeah, <laughs> I that I would listen to. <laughs> oh, Quark and the booty men. <laughs> but no, like the body men of the Alpha Quadrant, and you finally meet them halfway through season one, and they're. The yeah, <laughs> just kind of like sniffing their phases because it's got gold in them and shit. Yeah, like we've, <laughs> we've discussed this on the podcast before about how when TNG first started, the writers wrote the Ferengi to be the big new baddie in in the show, and then after two two episodes of writing them, they were like, "Oh god, these guys are rubbish," and so they focused on Romulans instead. Uh, but they, they, and then the ball, yeah, but like they that, were meant yeah. to be originally brought in as this big new baddie to be sort of like the new Klingons. <laughs> Just can't imagine where they thought they would go with that, though. Just like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, and, I mean... They thought the impending threat of post-capitalist dystopia would be enough to carry the, carry the <laughs> series, but then when everyone looked at Quark's sort of eerie little face, they were like, oh... You just know. <laughs> I mean, they do <laughs> not look not that intimidating. They do look rubbish. I do yeah. love the idea of TNG trying to set up capitalism as the big bad. If only they'd succeeded, we might be living in a different world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about how? Rom delivers his demands to Quark on a tiny plastic coffin, and that seems to be how Ferengis communicate. I, right, I, this is a big thing I've got with like all of Star Trek. They managed to predict that we would kind of like have information like on on text pads, and we would like share it that way. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't seem to realize is that we would have cloud storage and would be able to have several documents on the same tablet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> because all of Star Trek is just like like there's one where I think Jake's drafting a short story, and he's just surrounded by like fifty different writing pads. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> that that is my life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but there's God, an episode. Yeah. There's a scene in this episode where um, Rom's working out where he's he, he's looking between the the, the uh, wages and the uh, outgoings, and he's trying to do maths and work out what it, they need for the what for their demands and everything. And he's got yeah, like five or six different essentially mobile phones in front of him, using them all. Yeah. For well, it looks things. like he's just mugged six children and stolen their Happy Meal toys and just, uh, <laughs> thrown them about his desk. <laughs> I was... Did anyone else notice? Like, have there always been that many of a Ferengi working at Quark? No, absolutely there has <laughs> not been. <laughs> <laughs> there is... Uh, the, 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 I was looking at a fandom uh, wiki page about this uh, earlier today, which is where I've got these facts from, Um and the, there were three, I think, um, guest actors on, uh, in this episode who just played generic Ferengi people who worked in the bar. And then there was obviously the the guy who played. Uh, uh, what was it was Jeffrey Combs? You're talking about Jeffrey. Combs. Jeffrey Combs, yeah, uh, yeah. Who is in like he? I think he holds a record of playing the most Star Trek characters over the entire franchise. Uh, right. he, I mean, he he plays three separate characters in DS9. I think there's one episode in the final season when he's in in the episode as all three characters <laughs> because he's also he's Wayun, yeah, he's, he's Brunt, and he's like a shady gambler dealer. He's the one who wants to like. Buy a hollow image of Kira so we can fuck it. Oh right, okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh god. Yeah. That, that does support my headcanon from the episode of uh, yesterday's episode that, or last week's episode that we did about um, how Data uses his little holographic version of Lieutenant Yar as a wank bank. Oh. Well, he is he is programmed and fully automated. Yeah, so <laughs> anatomically correct. Anatomically correct. Yeah. Anatomically correct. I mean, th- th- there's a wonderful still of like his, all his components on a wall and just Riker outright staring at his ass. <laughs> 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 um, oh. That Ferengi though, Brunt or whatever his name was, the evil one that came to enforce the FCA. He was. Oh God, he made my skin crawl. Like he had this disgusting he, he, lisp. He was a sexual harasser. Um, he, uh, he, is, oh. he is meant mm. to represent all of the worst parts of Ferengi Ren- culture. Ren- 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 like, yeah. yeah. I was like, Jeffrey like, Combs is just a gift when it comes to creepy. I mean, it's the dude who played the anime, the reanimator. So, so it's what you're working with with him. But yeah, he's a creepy fucking dude. But I also love 
any episode that Jeffrey Thomas is in. <laughs> so it ranked high. <laughs> yeah, I was really terrified for a minute that he was gonna, you know, try and sexually harass um, that Bajoran lady because it did look like he was gonna be a predator towards her for a bit. But then they decided to beat the shit out of Quark instead, and I was very relieved. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Like I've seen this episode countless times, and still every time I'm just like, no, not Lita. No, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you leave her She's innocent in this. I know Lita was like the you know the core of that union. Um, I want to discuss the politics of the bar a little bit um, because there are some things that I have to question. So first of all, the fact that Cisco doesn't make Cork pay any rent does that mean that the Federation considers alcohol a public utility? It's technically not alcohol. In space, they have Sinfail, which is like, oh, the taste of alcohol, but none of the drunk effects. But some bartenders keep the real stuff underneath the bar. So Sinfail is a public utility that is subsidised by the Federation. Yeah, it keeps the people happy, doesn't it? Sign me up to a fully automated luxury gay-space communism now! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amazing. And something else I want to question about the bar, apart from the hideous decor that we won't go into is why is that guy sat at the bar at the beginning of the episode watching Rom have his fit and collapse because he's wanked his ear too many times, then still sitting in the exact same position at the bar at the very end of the episode where Rom comes back to say that he's a technician. Oh, that's Morn. (laughs) That's just Morn. There's an entire episode dedicated to Morn. Is there? Morn's amazing. Oh my god, I love him. Morn never says a word in the entire fucking series and they still have an entire episode about (laughs) him. And he is not, like, he manages to still have Zero dialogue. Oh, because my joke in Deep Space Nine is like every character like that will refer to him in like this these terms about him being like some wild party guy with like a million adventures and the episode about him is all like them following this trail of crazy shit he's got up to, but you never on screen see him say or do anything other than sit at Quark's bar. <laughs> that is so lovely and makes me so happy and also makes me wonder, is then the very similar looking alien who appears in the bar in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie and also doesn't say a word while her and Jim are talking around him, is he a reference to Morn? Is that Morn's? Is that, that. Morn's dad <laughs> that <laughs> on ma- Earth? I mean, it could be. It could be Morn. Morn's old. Oh right, that makes me very happy. If that's not, he does have ah seventeen that, brothers and sisters, unidentified mother. If that's not already canon, that 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 that's a reference, or that they're somehow <laughs> that has to be part of Red Shirt's head canon. That uh, yeah, definitely, that they're, they're related, or they're the same person. Um, <laughs> Let's let's get to the important question, guys, uh, which we ask every week, which is, which character in this episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? Well, Rom, because he hurt himself masturbating. He definitely tried that as well. But d- no, but I no, I reckon Ferengi have micro penises. <laughs> you know, you know, that's, that's head Bidia's t- tiny knob. Bidia's tiny knob. That's another one of the bands you listen to, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it the other way around? Like, the size of the ears... Because that's what you say with lads, right? Like, if he's got big ears, he's got a big knob. So surely Ferengi actually... Who has says that? I, don't, that I feel like that's been said I'm to me. S- that's was the it by most a self-conscious I've ever felt about my ears. Uh. Maddie, if, so, if someone said that to you, I think that the size of your ears are the least of your problem. <laughs> I, I do... I have a theory about who here could have tried to suck their own knob, and this will be the same in every episode of DS9 I ever watch. I believe that Julian Bashir has a holosuite program where he gets a hologram of himself to nosh him off. Yes. I, I believe that Julian Bashir is that much of a narcissist that he has made a set hologram in his own image. I, I'm, I'm willing to accept that 100%. as both an answer yeah. to the, the important question and as Red Shirt's headcanon. But he uh, definitely because... goaded Worf into throwing him over that table so that he could later yeah. wank about it in the hollow deck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, on the other because we've already established in this world that um, holograms also work within the bar. So that's the reason it didn't go on screen. As he was thrown over the table, like hologram Bashir was on the other end of the table. <laughs> it just kind of like, turned into a spit roast situation. <laughs> and that's. It wasn't for Brawl and it was for public indecency they ended up in the brawl. I, I have a question vis a vis having sex with a hologram. Um, when you ejaculate inside the hologram, <laughs> oh 
does it do, does it then just fall on the floor or does it no they're hard no they're hard lights so i imagine there's like a compartment like a flashlight right <laughs> okay mm. but but then when you turn the hologram off oh yeah 100%. does it just sort of drop out <laughs> yeah. of the air like and then splat on yeah. the floor. Yeah, there's no there's no safe way that you can that you can burn it off without evaporating your knowledge. So. <laughs> well, no, you can you can safely retract the penis. Um, you can retract your penis. No, once you <laughs> also, I don't. Once you've ejaculated, don't you mean retract. You don't have to stay in her while you deactivate the program, do you? Well, I mean, I don't know how. No, but if it's stored inside there, and then even like an hour later, holiday that's turned off, splash. <laughs> yeah, but, but what I'm going to propose is that, given it uses some amount of transporter technology. You can just beam it into the waste refuge. I don't. I don't think the holodecks don't come transport. <laughs> <laughs> it does. That's what Miles O'Brien was doing all of TNG. That's why he didn't like being on the Enterprise. He was just transporting all of Julian's uh, jizz into he, the refuge. Miles O'Brien is steadily trying to clone the entire. <laughs> Entire Enterprise crew to bring back women. That's how we got Worf, and that's why Worf got to be in the next gen films because there are two Worfs and Milo O'Brien cloned him using his twin Don holographic spin. <laughs> oh my god, this has gone from like Miles or Miles O'Brien is a is a leftist agitator to Miles O'Brien is like a pervert who clones people secretly from their jeans, which he transports out of the hollow deck into his own little like science lab. And that's just... the red shirt's way. <laughs> He's just lonely. He spent a lot of time in that holodeck, in that, in that transporter room. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he misses his friends, so he's cloning them using the baby dress. Yeah, he has specifically said in this episode that uh, he spent a lot of time not doing anything in in the transporter room on. Uh, the Enterprise, so you know he's got yeah. to have done something with that time, uh, and I think what he did with that time is clone the entire bridge crew <laughs> using their <laughs> semen. What? You know what? Based on everything we've said today, I can't wait to listen to this ten minute. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we might be about done. Then is there anything else anyone wants yeah. to say? Tom, do you have anything you would like to plug to the Red Shirts listeners? Oh, I'm, I'm doing too many things and I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> You're all right, mate. I'm one, th- nah, I'm one third of a online talk show called Social Distance Warriors, which I do with my double act partner, Andrew Marsh, with Normandy the Bank, and our friends over at Blizzard Comedy. And that's a weekly, soon, talk show where we get comedians, musicians, and wildcard artists, and we just talk to them, play some stupid games. I also have two YouTube things with Normandy the Bank, Dodruff Drafts, which is where we hash out our never-said-before material and try and make it good, and order at Drive Through Record, where we go through every album ever released by Drive Through Records and say what we think about it, because we are two white men. Of course, we like pop punk. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we'll, um, we'll put links to those things in the show notes for this episode if you want to find those or if you've got any interest in those things. Um, or you can, uh, as always, contact Red Shirts and we can tell you about them ourselves. If you want to get in touch with us and give us an idea for an episode you want us to talk about, uh, you can email us. Uh, redshirtscast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at redshirtscast or on Instagram at redshirtscast. All that, I, I don't know what episode we're doing next week, so that'll be a fun uh, surprise for all of us. Um, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a good one. Uh, I'm, I've got my fingers crossed for a Harry Mudd special, uh, so which sounds like a sex act. Um, <laughs> I, Tough luck. It's actually Farangai Noon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with that, with that said, uh, all that's left to do is is say thank you to Ben Kavanagh who recorded the music for this episode thank you to our special guest Tom B who has been excellent uh, and thank you to my co-hosts Maddie, Tom- uh, Maddie Thomas I've just married you sorry uh, Nathan Thomas and Hooray! Maddie Churchhouse uh, I've been Jake Donaldson uh, live long and prosper and goodbye bye, bye. bye.